Hi, thanks for checking out One Debate, a bi-weekly podcast where we strive to help you become the best person at your table. If you like what you hear, please like, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can help others like you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel for those of you who would like to listen there. New episodes come out every other Monday. I'm Jacob, and as always, we're here with our resident DM, Gabe. Hello. What are we talking about tonight, Jacob? We are going to be talking about villains and Mm. how to create villains, what makes a good villain, uh, kind of also player buy-in with the villains. So with that, Gabe, I want to ask you, what is your favorite villain? My favorite villain? Yes. Like that I've made or... That you've made, that you've had, like in, in pop, like that you've seen in pop culture. Okay. Well, to, to keep it in the D&D vein, uh, my favorite villain, as this probably is no surprise, but Strahd uh, from Curse of Strahd. Yeah. My, my favorite recently created villain is more of an antagonist. Uh, his name is Palace Zion. He's a little halfling and he deals in favors and he, he, you know, he's the kind of villain that talks to the players. The players desperately want to kill, but they also desperately need. And those are my favorite villains. It's hard to really talk about how important it is to have somebody like that in your, in your campaign. Because mm-hmm. having something like that is just such a driving force for a lot of players. Uh, I I saw in the other Discord channel that I'm in that you run that that your players from Galantor were actually talking about <laughs> that NPC. Mm-hmm. And how long ago was that campaign now? Uh, three months, maybe. Yeah, they they've seen they seem like they're still pretty pretty <laughs> ripe about it. Yeah, they they never got to kill him. Uh at the end of the campaign, he basically offered immortality to some of the players even. Uh so they had the choice to take it up and become villains in in my realm. Did they take it? Some did. Few did. I think the rest of them just wanted to kill him. I don't know, that's like I Oh man, depending on my character, I I, mm-hmm. I would have a hard time turning that down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you basically had the opportunity to become a competitor of his, but it was a promise he had made them, and I had him honor that promise. It was, you know, assist me now in ascending to where I want to be, and in the future I promise to ascend you as well. And uh the parties they they secured a juvenile kraken for him, and he 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 honored his uh promise. You were getting sushi for for the, for the big bad. Um, well, I mean, ideally, in the future iterations of Galantor, now there will simply be a halfling riding a full-grown kraken, and he may or may not now be a god. I don't even know what to say to that. I, I, I don't either. That's I don't have any plans on on getting back to it just yet. So, but it's it's there, you know, tucked away. Uh, under <laughs> potential villains. Okay. What about you, Jake? What's what's your favorite villain? 
Randall Flagg from uh from the Dark Tower series. He okay. is a shapeshifter. He's also if you guys have actually heard the name Randall Flagg and it rings bells, he's also in the stand. He's a he's the antagonist of the stand. It's one of the things that that Stephen King does with his books. All of his books are actually tied to the Dark Tower series in one way, shape, or form via the towers. Um, and it's really interesting because it shows the different dimensions that Stephen King has created. And it at the end of the seventh book, Randall doesn't become like isn't really that big of a part of the story he's not he's not a big part of the story anymore but okay you're constantly wondering like where he's gonna pop out or what's going to Mm -hmm. happen and he he just never dies he just (laughs) never dies the mark of a good villain so if you've learned anything here today they just never die um no jacob (laughs) Gabe's sad corner would be the campaign where the villains are never defeated and the players just, I don't know, I guess they stick around purely out of spite. They're goonies. They just never say die. (laughs) That doesn't mean they won't. Uh, That's fair. Um, But let's go back to your to your halfling there. Mm -hmm. And we could talk about different. We could talk about different types of villains later, but right now. Having a villain like or antagonist rather like PZ mm-hmm. is really interesting in a sense because you can have your players be tempted, like you just said, to fall to villainy, or who's to say that PZ isn't already influencing other NPCs in the area mm-hmm. and they end up becoming bigger and badder. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, right there. I mean, you've touched on like in a very, very short amount of time. You've touched on a lot of things that we need to discuss tonight. Um, namely, one villains influencing other villains, uh, subplot villains, basically, is is probably how I would word that. Um, the Palestine PZ, as my players not so affectionately referred to him, he was one of those characters. He was either trying to influence the players constantly, or he was attempting to influence. Um, the immediate superior to himself. He was part of a hierarchy uh, and he did have some sway over all of that. Um, But this is just like how we talked about what happens to your cities when your players aren't there. What are your villains doing when your players aren't interacting with them? And I think that it's, it's really important if you allow your players side plot adventures that the villains of those side plot adventures can somehow interact or tie into your overarching villainous influences. Um, I think that's a really important thing. I think that's good to say because you can overdo that, right? I think I've mentioned when we were doing our prep a couple days ago, we don't want convoluted. Mm-hmm. sometimes the best course of ash- action is to s- have a simplified approach if the campaign is too oh i'm sorry that's actually the notes for the next for the next episode um <laughs> but it still works here too 
you don't want you don't want your villain to be so convoluted in their drive that your player doesn't fully understand them. We have people mm-hmm. saying, uh, our friend Brian, for instance, saying that one of the things that really gets him is having a sympathetic villain, somebody that you mm-hmm. can fully understand why or how they fell to what they did do. And if your drive is too convoluted, if their if their desire to get to their end goal is too difficult to understand, your players aren't going to care about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Accessibility is very important. Um, Mr. Freeze from the old, the, what is it, the George Clooney Batman? Um, Arnold you know, Schwarzenegger? He just wants to save his wife. Yeah, he just wants to save his wife. It's it's simple. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call Mr. Freeze the best villain in Batman history, but that's... No one is not going to understand that motivation. And when the bad guy refuses to give up, you're going to say, well, I get it. Still going to kick your ass, but I get it. It's really interesting that you said that, though, because in the Batman gallery of villains, you have somebody like the Joker Mm -hmm. who doesn't actually have an inherent drive. Mm -hmm. He's just an architect of chaos. Yeah. If I'm if I'm being honest, I think a character like the Joker, a villain like the Joker, if if you were to let's say take inspiration from that character for your own game, I think at that point it's it's almost Deus Ex Machina. It is a character that has arisen based on sort of the the meta of your game. Like it's a villain that has been created to mirror your players. Um, kind of as, okay, Batman exists, therefore there must equal some sort of binary opposition or some, some equal force of an exact opposite nature. It's almost like it's an evolution of the, the creative story itself. Um, and I, I think that's, that's fine to do, but, uh, if you're, if you're looking to, I mean, it, and it, it does work. I mean, if you want a villain that just is pure chaos, just wants to sow the undoing of government, society, that's ant- like seed anarchy, that, that's fine. Your players probably will have a blast in stopping it. But I, I do have to say that you want to be careful to make sure that there is at least some sort of a pattern to it so that your players have an opportunity to understand to stop. I think that's a general theme in the vein of Batman with the Joker. And I'm, I'm not super familiar with these things, so I don't want to offend Batman fans. Um, but I think that generally Batman has a hard time keeping up with the Joker because he can't rely on his detective skills because the Joker is chaos. He's always one step behind. He's always, you know, two steps forward, or one step, I did that backwards. Anyway, uh, one step the, forward, two steps back, maybe. The, but. the drive for Joker, I believe, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, like he is a foil. He is a, the a foil of of Bruce Wayne. Like I know that mm-hmm. in the animated series, like they wanted Joker to break batman that's like what his drive is it's a very personal yeah. drive he wants to break him yeah. he wants he wants to see 
this shining light of Gotham fall. He wants to he wants this man to admit that he is just as bad as he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I guess I, that would be a, a personal while. drive, right? Yeah. Yeah. But again, it, it rises from your players. So this would be like a late stage kind of motivation. Um, like your players have been around, they're established, they're known as the saviors of Gallant or Gotham. <laughs> uh, and so the, you know, yeah, it, it almost feels like it's a, a dungeon master that's fed up with these goody two shoes winning everything. So he throws something at them that's just going to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like a completely different, it's a completely different drive than somebody like Frieza mm-hmm. from Dragon Ball Z, who is an overlord and just trying to take over as many worlds as he can for his corporation. Exactly. And those are generally the motives that I'm I am more in support of. Because like you said earlier, this convolutedness, like if you want to throw a, a thematic villain like the Joker at your players just to make them sort of scratch their heads, to be off balance, to experience pain, may, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's exactly what they want. Maybe that's fresh for them. And and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But you you want your players to want to interact with that villain too if it's just like hammering them into submission is your goal as a dungeon master maybe just do a mr freeze uh and keep the motivation simple really be interesting though to see your players interact a couple of times in those one-on-ones where you're talking because you have to imagine that that everyone is on edge at every moment Mm -hmm. of those of those those personal meetings, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, even with just Palace Zion, the man, his simple motive was greed. He simply wanted to improve his station. He wanted to become basically a deity of this wilderness. Um, but every conversation that the party had, half of the party wanted to kill him on the spot. The other half was intrigued by his offer of power. And one or two of them had personal reasons to accept because he was dangling an easy clue or an easy solution to a problem in front of them. And they knew that they couldn't have their cake and eat it too. Not going to go into that, that, that phrase, <laughs> because that's not the appropriate, appropriate point. Uh, but <laughs> I have to ask you, did you think about that when you were seeding Galantor? Like, did you make pz just for that reason that's a great question i didn't make pz until maybe halfway through galantor um and it came about when i was creating a different villain actually his his master um i decided well if he's the master he should have lieutenants and then i created three different i do a lot of things in like the rule of three it's just it's simple and easy i like having three choices if possible um but I created three different villains. One was a warlock named Suture. The other was a commander of a fiendish army, uh, which the party never actually got to experience. And then the other was Palace Zion, who betrayed his other two lieutenants. And they Suture was a whole different thing. He escaped them. They chased him down and killed him. And then Palace Zion saw the party's power and made a play. I decided, you know what? I've got three villains. One is dead. I still have two left. I'm going to take a risk with the second one and have him interact with the party. So he interacted with the party. He offered to kill the other lieutenant for them. And this was a guy up on a flying ship 
floating around. So they didn't even know how to get to them. And they're like, this is such an easy way for us to take advantage of this, use him. And they actually went and killed PZ's master, who then PZ took his, his, you know, usurped his place with the aid of the players. And then, of course, bartered with them another deal that was too good. It was kind of like I was constantly coming up with things behind the scenes that the players would want so they wouldn't kill PZ on the spot. I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing anything like that. It's nice mm-hmm. that you have that as an example because I was talking to you about how Urban Shadows, it says very specifically that for lieutenants, for your, uh, for lieutenants uh, with your main threat, mm-hmm. their drive is to serve someone powerful. Mm-hmm. That's their basic function. They are serving somebody powerful. It's not to say that they don't have ulterior drives, like getting that power for themselves or trying to help save one of their own loved ones. Um, and that's how sympathetic villains kind of come into place, right, play, right? Like mm-hmm. with Freeze trying to save his own his own wife, he went about it the wrong way. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the maybe should be as questionable as I said, but <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of what happens with your sympathetic villains. Uh, Walter White, yeah, he mm-hmm. is a very sympathetic villain in the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's again, you know, the character is backed against the wall and Anytime we see a, a figure portrayed in that manner, you know, vulnerable, desperate, you you can't help but sympathize a little bit with them. Um, and again, I think this this leans directly into what themes have you seeded your campaign with? What themes are your players interested in? If you've discussed this in session zero, um, you know, there's also like incompetent villains. Like, is this a comedy? Uh, do we want to see someone bumbling around like Mr. Magoo? even a villain, but still coming up successful at every turn. Do we want to feel bad? Is this a tragic story? Are we somewhat resentful of the action we have to take as players to stop him? Um, it's it's all about that that give and take. What do we want from the story we're creating? And I think the, the villain is often the linchpin to unlocking that satisfaction. Absolutely. The thing that I would say and it might be a little bit difficult, but every NPC mm-hmm. that you have, you should be ha- thinking about drives. Uh, yeah. Because who's to say that the NPC that your party absolutely loves, uh, who isn't a villain, mm-hmm. sympathizes so much with the villain that when you end up killing him or doing whatever, that it's a mo- like it, it really shakes them to their core that they really don't understand what to do anymore. And that's the reason to fault villainy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, what happens to all those lieutenants that they might've bypassed or ignored when there's the power vacuum? Um, there's, there's a lot of things to consider in the fallout of, of villainy as well. We're dead. We're going to be getting into the plot of everything in the next episode mm-hmm. where we'll, talk more about power vacuum we'll talk more about um the more in depth about drives and how they can influence your plot how they can influence your stories different subplots all that kind of stuff 
we don't want to get too, too off topic because I know that we have a little bit gone astray there, but not, not (laughs) as, as we do not too much, not not too bad. So where do you want to go next? Uh, well, Jake, I could, I could talk about, um, how I create my villains. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so when I am considering a villain and I almost always consider a villain, I know that there's campaigns, perhaps we should touch on, um, campaigns without a villain or at least arcs of campaigns where there is no villain yet. Um, you know, uh, your players versus the environment, your players versus a calamity, um, a plague. When later it can be discovered that the calamity or the plague was caused by an individual, aka of a villain. Um, I think that in deciding the villain is something that doesn't have to happen from the get-go. It doesn't have to be done in session zero. I think, you know, if you understand your themes and the things your players are looking for, you might even want to wait until the end of an arc or two before creating this villain. Like you said, looking at your NPCs, this is something I do in my games. If I haven't created the villain from the bat, I will look at the the likely targets. Do I want to try and ask a, a player to become the villain? Do I want to select an NPC that motivation or drive or circumstance lends itself to this? Is that a framework I want to approach? Um, but if I'm building a villain from scratch, when I understand what's happening in the campaign and what the players want, um, I'm going to start with a rich backstory. That's generally how I, and it's, it, this goes back to my character creation. When I'm deciding a character's motivations and goals and drives, that's how I role play the character. And I think that villains, if they're doing villainous stuff, they're going to have a good reason for it. Uh, they're going to have a backstory, whether that be tragic or not, um, that lends itself to why are they so horrible that my players have to kill them because they don't leave them alive if they can help it. Yeah. God forbid. God forbid. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice again that you're, that you're saying all this stuff because I'm going to plug the urban shadows game that mm-hmm. I'm going to be running, uh, that people will have a chance to listen to if they decide to check out our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Nice plug in for that too. But mm-hmm. we, as you know, I gave you guys a little synopsis of the story that I'm going to be mm-hmm. running. It's just a little bit of a background of Chicago, what's going on in Chicago. Not once have I actually mentioned to you guys very explicitly what the threat is, what the who the main villain is. As you're mm-hmm. figuring out, as you're making your character, this game is very fluid. I don't have a villain in mind right now. I don't mm-hmm. have anything in mind. I, I'm just here to help facilitate a story, and we're gonna see how things play out. I am excited to become your villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your character <laughs> is your character is pretty pretty full of drives. But this is where we're talking um, about maybe not having any villain in play mm-hmm. because a game like urban shadows is so nice that 
you're all just working on your own drives and there's no good or evil it's not a binary thing it's it's a mix of gray for everybody there are good good things about each individual there are bad things about each individual and it specifically says in the urban shadows book that your character shouldn't just be straight evil you need to show the good side of every npc that you have as well as the negative side to help Mm -hmm make them an actual human being yeah yeah and that's that's absolutely wonderful i can't wait to dig into this and see how it feels um and i i think a little bit of that is is due to the the fluidity as you said of not being sort of shoehorned into a a group Mm -hmm. we each have our own individual drives in powered by the apocalypse so we can simply we can be the story. Whereas when you're playing in a group environment like Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition and you know, you're all together all the time, you have to have a unified goal. And then having a simple one versus one, good versus evil, Sith versus Jedi, that works really well because you're like a collective unit. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see how, how it goes. I am too. You know that. I'm I'm so <laughs> yeah. excited. It's kind of the only it. thing that I've been thinking about for the last couple of days besides this. So I was gonna say you you better say this first. Gosh. <laughs> this is my main my my main passion project, and now the Urban Shadows game is gonna be the be the second, and I hope that you guys mm-hmm. check it out. Uh we'll be giving out a little bit more information about the Patreon later on. Um mm-hmm. but Besides that, let's so, let so continuing uh, how I create my villains. Um, I ask myself a, a series of questions. I have like a little checklist sometimes mm-hmm. that I, I will approach. Um, does my villain have a vulnerability or a weakness? Is this like a psychological or physical disorder, um, deformity? Do they have relationships? Do those enable their wickedness or do they hinder their goodness? Um, do they have challenges, people to answer to, shortcomings, illnesses, flaws, etc.? cetera? Uh, I, I want to know what their habits are, um, what rituals that they, they need to perform. Do they have dark secrets or debts? Um, do they have like an id or an ego? Are, are they, do they check out the, the ladies of the night? Do they... <laughs> Yeah, well, I just I need to know, is there something my players can exploit? Because there's there's always the feeling of making your villain sort of this one dimensional great evil force. Mm -hmm. But give them some weaknesses. Uh, Let them not only appear as maybe mortal, maybe they're not mortal, but let them appear to be uh, a well-rounded source. Uh, so if your players do encounter them before it's the villain or before they know it's the villain, they might even take pity on this on this person or understand him on a human level before they're forced to face him on a villain level. Um, what is the character's uh, best attribute? And in fifth edition, uh, I, I just look at like, what what's the highest stat? Is it charisma? Is he a cult leader? Uh, is it strength? Is he some sort of like tribal leader or um, warrior? Uh, is it wisdom? Is he a seer? Uh, is it intelligence? Is he a strategist? Um, is he an arcanist? You know, all of these things 
sort of play into how I start to construct the character. Um, what did you do for a wisdom? I, I think I said like seer, uh, some oh, like a, a wise a wise man or um, wisdom is is tough. That could also be like a different kind of cult leader instead of um, like a cult of personality. It would be more of uh, a religious cult, perhaps. Would it kind of be like a Sherlock Holmes type of character? It could be, yeah, or or intelligence, one one or the other, depending on how I'd play it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I like to also ask a little question, and this is a fun exercise that we have, Jacob. I'm ready. As I know, I know you're a fan of philosophy. I'm a fan of many things, and you already said no to my first example. Oh, well, that's because it was too hard. Uh, <laughs> I'm not perfect. Um, so I like to pull up Wikipedia's list of philosophies, and I'll, I'll skim through them or I'll pick one. Um, Jacob earlier said, uh, what was it? Absurdism. Absurdism. And that one, that there was a lot of words in that blurb and I'm feeling a little tired today. So what was the other one? Utilitarianism. (laughs) Um, I was, so I just, I might read the first paragraph and, uh, utilitarianism might say something like it prescribes actions that maximize happiness and well-being for all affected individuals. Um, so you might look at someone like Thanos and say, you know, he's trying to maximize the happiness or longevity of the universe, humankind, uh, through eliminating half of them. Um, maybe I would look at the other, the other thing I clicked on, which worked much better, was filial piety, uh, which looks like it's a Buddhist uh, ethics philosophy of virtue and respect for one's parents or elders. Uh, and quite simply, you look at this and you can say, okay, my villain, maybe he has a great respect for what his father was doing. And his father was an evil warlord. Uh, and he, he simply, he's, his heart's not in it, but he wants to fulfill his father's wishes. And in doing so, he has to engage in some villainous behavior. Um, so I just sort of go through the list. Uh, I and I, I slowly you want to, I have one more for give you it to if me. you want. Nihilism. Nihilism. All right, let's click the link. Will you will you bear with me? Is this going to be like, okay, okay. Uh, this l- view within philosophy rejects general or fundamental aspects of human existence. <laughs> this is okay, this is pretty easy. Um, he wants to eat the galaxy or or set off uh a bomb that undoes all all existence, right? Much, yeah. yeah. So there, you've got three villains. Boom, and it's it's all just it's finding ways. Yeah, exactly. It's it's finding ways to seed an idea that one fits in your theme, but two is just exciting for you. Um, go through these lists until you find something that you want to explore. Um, the Dungeon Master's Guide does have a couple tables for 5th edition. So if you have that book handy, it never hurts to find the pages, roll a couple times on some tables, and you're going to find your way into a villain um, sooner or later. Do you actually use uh, Xanathar's Guide? Not for this practice, typically. Um, Well, I mean, like we're talking about drives and ideals. Like, wouldn't mm -hmm. that 
couldn't you try to, like it you don't think it would work you could um i think that the villain tables generally have a little bit more of aggressive options like nice. um there are some tables in xanathar's that might work like your tragedy there there are a couple tables for tragedies a couple tables for rivals and such uh, it, you could definitely use the character creation tables for it. I think that the the villainous tables in the DMG are just a little bit more tailored to harsh. Villains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to uh, to evil. Um, like well, I think there's like assassination and and such. It's it's pretty villainous stuff. That's fair. I just thought maybe I could chime in a little bit with my limited knowledge of of the dmg and be like wait we talked about we talked about drives i i know some yeah. of this so no it's, it's still a good point it's, it's absolutely doable especially if you're the kind of person that creates characters with sort of a grayness to them you just have to take it that next step and push the gray into the black i'm okay with doing that 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 yeah. i have no moral compass so um so you said that you don't really create that many villains in PBTA. How do what's what's your take on creating a villain? Is there anything that that maybe I missed that you would want to see taken into consideration? No, here's the thing. For me, I have to make my environment. I have to know a little bit about my environment, and then I just kind of throw, like you just said, I. You have to know the, your world a little bit before you can actually create your villain. Um, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that you can't make your villain first and then make a world around it. Oh, um, of course. I mean, I'm going to be running FEV in a little while, not for not for a, a long, uh, not a long time, but not for a little while yet. Friendship effort victory. Now that you're trying to think about what that is. Um, but. It says in there very specifically, when you're making an arc, you need to think about what is the main motivational drive of that arc. So mm -hmm. in my table that I have, because I actually have resources today. Uh, Tables yeah, are the best. In mine, it is listed very specifically, underlying every arc is a need. Choose one. Safety, glory, Duty, revenge, idealism, ignorance, fear, ego, power, chaos. So, mm -hmm. talking about Frieza from Dragon Ball Z, why did I almost forget that? Power. Power is, is the arc in that one. If we're talking about Full Metal Alchemist when they're talking about Scar, I know that he's not actually a villain, or but he mm -hmm. was at one point. He was a villain. Uh, that just turned into kind of an antagonist and then more of Maybe an anti-hero. Anti-hero, yeah, I was going to say. Uh, his was revenge. Mm -hmm. Like, you just kind of need to know. Um, I don't know how many people here actually read the Dragon Ball Super manga, but Moro the one of the new villains that they introduced his drive is ego 
Mm-hmm. And that's it. It sometimes comes down to just being as simple as one one word. Yeah, that that's a great point. And I love that you have a little table. Um, not because I love tables, and sometimes I like to roll on them, but also because let's say you're running a long term campaign, and you've had six villains. If you can break them down to their motivations, you can keep your campaign fresh by just putting a little checkbox next to I've had this motivation already. My players don't want to get something stale. They don't want to get something recycled unless the story calls for it. But maybe the next villain you create, you you go down the list and you say, okay, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. And you you just you've got it right there. Yeah, no, it's it's a fantastic practice. I mean, I, I'm just sitting here thinking about all the other villains I can think of right now. The hardest one for me would be ignorance, but I guess that's not really mm-hmm. like, it's them being ignorant of their own actions. Like yeah. they're, they're being ignorant of the negative effects that they're having. Well, have you seen the HBO miniseries Chernobyl? No. Well, there's a character in, in that miniseries. And um, when they get reports of a potential meltdown, the, the radiation levels are rising, the meters only go so high. And the character just says the same phrase over and over again. And he sticks his head in the sand and he ignores it. And had he not, arguably, the entire catastrophe would have been averted. So I think if it there, it's it's definitely a difficult thing. Right, you have to create a character that's positioned with enough power, and he's surrounded himself with enough yes men, or fear in which no one's going to second guess him or go over his head. So it's 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 a complicated one, but in niche situations, it, it, I can see it. Well, I mean, even Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. I mean the 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 <laughs> nothing wrong with this idea. <laughs> The operators of Jurassic Park, that was that was pure ignorance. Yeah, yeah. So it, I'm, I'm glad that this episode fantastic. has turned into pop culture. <laughs> yeah, pop culture references and Gabe and Jake surprised themselves at what they didn't realize they knew. Um, there was something that I did want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this kind of ties to it's a it's a fun little exercise that I have for myself. I have a bunch of these, apparently. Um, to keep your mind but, fresh yeah uh, when I'm creating characters because I totally don't do that for fun um, <laughs> you, can, you can reverse engineer a police investigation bear with me <laughs> it's I need everyone to know that I'm just like leaning into the camera like <laughs> what are you talking about continue I'm interested now I have your, you got my full attention <laughs> okay so I had this idea Mm-hmm. For next episode, mm-hmm. where we're discussing plot, mm-hmm. <laughs> stop looking at me like that. And I thought, you know what? Your players probably aren't going to know how to conduct a police investigation. So I started to look into it. And then I realized, okay, when your villain is interacting in your campaign, he's pursuing his goals. Um, you need to understand how to sort of reverse engineer the actions he's taken to garner the party's uh, attention. Let's say this is a mystery, this is intrigue. So you need to look at the, the three big, uh, the, the police investigative practices, motive, means, and opportunity. When you're creating a villain, think about what does he want? How did he get it? 
And most importantly, how did he position himself in your campaign to make all of this possible? Is that why you picked the immortal? I mean, it's probably all subconsciously related at this time, <laughs> but you can't have me make a character for your PBTA game on the same week we're discussing villains <laughs> That's and fair. expect it not to bleed into it. I'm not. I'm super excited about that. I'm sorry. I just like you just said that. I was like, wait a second. That sounds like your schemes. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's when when you're looking at the schemes, or I mean, every villain should have a scheme. They they all have a goal. They they go about doing these things. And I think your players should have the opportunity to interact with, foil, and potentially watch the scheme unfold. Uh, and in order to do that, you need to know how to position your your villain in your world. You know, did he climb the rungs of government? Did he battle his way through? Uh, the gladiatorial sands? Um, did he scheme his way up the, the hierarchy of nobles? How did your, your villain get to where he is is just as important as why is your villain the way your villain is? Um, and then you need to make that positive, possible for your characters to identify. So let's talk list. about the difference uh, of antihero and uh, antagonist. Okay. Versus villain. If you want to do that. Sure. I like how you say anti-hero. It sounds like it's Annie's hero. Any hero? Any hero. Yeah. I'm a, I, Pennsylvania showing. Is that, <laughs> is that Pennsylvania? Yeah, yes. we drop our T's. All right. Difference between anti-hero and antagonist? Anti-hero, antagonist, and villain. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think anti-hero and antagonist, it's like a moral phrase, quandary. Right? Yeah, the, with very close. I mean, an antagonist can be someone like PZ, who makes alluring offers, but is clearly evil. Um, but the, the anti-hero, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Daredevil no, uh, season seen two. Daredevil. On, it was on Netflix. It's now on HBO, I can't tell what that I, face I, means. I, I'm going to ignore your uh, your lack of faith in me. Of course I've seen it. Continue. Okay. Okay. So the the entire first half of season two is the hero butting heads with the anti-hero. Is, and I would is say that, that... season with Electra. I think she shows up in that as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, no spoilers, though. <laughs> Too Sorry. late. I guess it's been <laughs> out for a while. Yeah, um, But... It's it's a, a moral battle between our protagonist and an antagonist who happens to also be an antihero just based on his behavior. But they are kind of one in the same. Um, but then your villain probably shouldn't be an antihero. If you make your villain someone that the players can sympathize with to a degree where your villain is going to win them over. Yeah. I th it's okay like it's gonna have an interesting ending but if you want that that climax if you're focused on getting this brawl at the end of your campaign uh you're gonna have to work harder to get it and that might compromise sort of the the behavior of those characters so, i think i'm so sorry i think that the best ahead. example of an anti-hero in pop culture is uh the punisher yeah yeah, but I think that's why I used it. It's 
real, real. I mean, he's he's killing bad guys. Yep. Yep. And I mean, in the beginning of that series, like you're not really sure if you're really about him. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of it, you're like, nah, he's an okay guy. (laughs) They do a lot of work to increase your sympathy, understanding the backstory of this character. I would, I would say that this whole episode we're doing here is a great, I mean, he's the perfect character in that show to break down look at what they did with with his backstory they reveal his tragic backstory they give you his motivations they tell you why he does what he does oh they my show god you I, just his realized, flaws. I just realized that the punisher was in daredevil wasn't he i hate you like i was actually talking about the show daredevil uh punisher i wasn't even thinking yeah about yeah i wasn't Jake, even thinking- i asked you if you saw daredevil <laughs> you said I can't so believe sorry. your lack of faith in me. And then you didn't even know that the character I was discussing was in the show. I hate you. <laughs> you weren't listening to me at all. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, the oh, Punisher wow. is a great character to discuss. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long weekend. Um, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> the uh he he really does he just sort of hits on all the points that i was making when i create a character the show makes sure that it you know why he is the way he is you know why he's making the choices um and that's what i want you to do with your villains but if you do make him very sympathetic you do have to be prepared to improvise when it comes to a final segment with your players because they may throw in with that character especially if you give bigger villains on the side. And that's probably why we should refer to him as an antagonist, because there's a good chance your players are going to join him in killing the villain that he sees, the, the, the character that he perceives as the true villain. Yeah. And that which could typically be the happens. That's, well, that, it's true. That's typically what happens whenever you introduce an anti-hero in any, mm-hmm. in any television show, right? Like, they yeah. get into a scuffle with the with the protagonist and mm-hmm. then a season later they're teaming up because yeah. that's that's all that they can do uh deadpool for instance is another great anti-hero mm-hmm. um okay so we talked about sympathetic villains tell me about a tragic hero a uh, tragic villain would that be um would that be freeze yeah mr freeze would be your your tragic villain um I think he's he's certainly better than an antihero because his his tragedy the importance here is that his tragedy did not lead him to doing something he perceives as as good like he is attempting to undo that tragedy by any means necessary this would be your character that's trying to unravel space-time continuum to go back and change the last moment no matter how many people he's got to kill to get there um Whereas Punisher accepts the past for what it is and is going to go on a war path, killing as many evil people as he can to it prevent. It might take him a while, but he, but he accepts it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay, irredeemable villains. I, I think that that one's really easy. Heisenberg. Your puppy kickers. Okay. Heisenberg. Not yeah. talking Walter White, talking Heisenberg. Mm hmm. Because those um, are two completely different characters in my eyes. I've said it in uh, 
earlier episode. I don't remember which one. I think it might have been session zero, but it's uh, it's a good way to look at the character because well, like we do understand he is a singular character, but it's almost like you've got a scale that's on the screen during the TV show it and is. it ticks back and forth. And at some point, you're right, you're redeemable. It crosses that line and you understand that 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 arrow will never be coming back. Um, but yeah, I, I like to call these like your, your puppy kickers. Um, the, the characters that are, are simply so evil and so far gone that no matter what your party is going to have to deal with them. It doesn't matter if they like them, their, their evil plans, their desires are going to saturate the storyline. They're going to affect the party at every turn and the party cannot escape and must deal with the situation. There's only been one uh, irredeemable, irredeemable villain that I think that I know in pop culture that ends up kind of getting redemption, which is weird. Uh, and that would be... Oh, man. He was in Walking Dead. He was in The Walking Dead. Uh, I've never watched Walking Dead. Yeah, he, I was, I stopped watching Walking Dead a while ago. It was when I was reading the, the comics. Um, is it and Negan? Negan. It is Negan. Thank you. It is Negan. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know where The Walking Dead is now. I know that they're on the final season and I know that Negan hmm. is introduced. Um, but in the comics, he ends up getting jailed by Rick. Um, and they allow him out to go help the the survivors. And mm-hmm. he ends up becoming a very influential part of their of their party. Mm-hmm. So redemption came through utter desperation. Yep. But that's still exciting. Like if you manage to pull that off, kudos and bravo for seizing the moment but i think that's something you shouldn't plan to try and do because that's up to your players but i i love the example that would feel that would feel cheap that would feel cheap if 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 you did try it and it didn't come come to fruition Mm -hmm. uh and that's that's the main thing that you need to worry about with your campaigns we've talked about it before consistency in private yeah consistency but also those cheap those cheap ploys those uh Mm -hmm jump scares in mm-hmm. horror movies like you get too many of those and you just don't trust your dm anymore exactly um i i know we're going to talk about this tomorrow so i don't want to hammer away at it but um subverting expectations uh tricking your players for the sake of tricking them you know surprising them for the sake of surprising them and this fits really well into a villain a villain doing something that the villain otherwise shouldn't be doing without providing ample evidence of his behavior supporting it. Um, If your villain suddenly saves the party, even though he's been trying to kill the party, all because you want the game to go on and this is the way that you've chosen to do it. If you haven't supplied evidence that your villain has a soft heart for them or a good reason to want to save them, your players are going to take note of that. And at the end of the day, as long as everyone's having fun, that's okay. But they're going to feel it. And then we have the incognito villain. And this is a great Mm -hmm. tie in 
to wrap everything up in a, in a bow and tie us into the next episode. The incognito villain. If you don't do him correctly, it will feel like a cheap ploy. Mm-hmm. It will feel like it was a a plan all along by your DM, which it, I mean, it technically is, but yeah, you need to be able to balance that with player expectations. So mm-hmm. we've said now, can you describe what the incognito villain is before I get into more depth about this? Sure. I would refer to the incognito villain as the shadow master. You know, we've discussed this previously, the the shadow organization, the person pulling the strings, perhaps it's even that shopkeep that your 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 party loves to interact with. Um he is the the essence of the villain that's completely removed from interacting directly as the villain with your party. Exactly. So we use this as an example when we were talking about other things. If you have a king and you're trying to get to the king to go tell him something, you could have your incognito villain there as a guard Mm -hmm. and have that guard give the players information to either a help the king or b give them false information but as your party's leaving have other npcs murmuring about how this guard hasn't been the same in in a little while kind of keep giving little breadcrumbs along the way like you need to hint at it we talked about having that um that subversion having having ample information and this is where we're going to be talking about in the next episode about having everything play out at a pro- at an appropriate time so that it never feels cheap yeah yeah and this can be something simple but this is always a risk you take as the dungeon master recently in um in Galantor I had a character that the party stumbled upon who was a Darrow, which is kind of like a, a different version of a, a dark gnome slash dwarf. Uh, they're these sort of small creatures in the Underdark. They're a little insane, but he was he was excommunicated, and he had this neat little red headband on. And as the party was exploring the Underdark, they realized that they came upon a colony of Mind Flayers, and the Mind Flayers like to enslave people using the little intellect of ours. They slice open your head and they jump in. So the party was fully aware of this, and they never checked this little guide they had. He was trustworthy and eloquent, and they liked him. He had this neat little scarf on, but they got into town, and all the other Darrow had these scars that ran across their foreheads. And I surreptitiously never mentioned that little bandana again on my little guide, because he, of course, was a mind flight. Yeah, he, he was. so. You always take a risk supplanting the party with these little characters. You have to be prepared to accept that they could be discovered. And if you're leaving hints, they should be. All my players are smacking themselves in the forehead thinking, why didn't we just check him all along? He led us everywhere. Um, But it's just a little bit of luck and letting the dice, letting the cards fall as they may. But it, it can end up very satisfying. 
Fantastic. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually believe, though, we are now officially out of time. Um, I know. I know. It was a good episode, though. It was a good episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry for dropping my phone, like, twice. Yeah, it's what it is. We we had a few laughs. Gabe dropped his phone. We didn't even mention the word happies. So. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I was thinking about ways to work him in as like a villain in my stories, but <laughs> no, Lord Happy isn't a villainous place. Lord uh, Happy is the the puppet in the Shadow Organization. Anyway, not the Shadow Organization. <laughs> so, next episode, we are going to be talking about plot story and that's going to be pretty exciting um, sounds super exciting yeah I know I didn't say it with, a, with much excitement <laughs> but you know alright alright next week we'll be talking about plot and story as always you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Amazon Music or wherever you like to listen to podcasts if you like what you heard, uh, I told us all about the YouTube channel, and I have been dropping little clips of conversation on TikTok on one debate. Um, I am going to be releasing unreleased episode snippets ever so often on there, so go check that out. Um, we have our Twitter. They can check us out and talk to us, ask us questions. If we didn't talk about anything that you actually wanted us to hear or discuss. Um, yeah. One debate. I said not D&D. As always, I'm having a hard time and I'm Jacob. <laughs> and I'm trying not to crack up. I'm Gabe. And this was One Debate. <laughs>